Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Your host, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome to our annual What We Got For Christmas New Year special. Mm. Happy New Year! Happy New Year. If this goes out on New Year, it may be. I haven't decided when it goes out. I'm not, no. It depends, all depends on what the turnaround time on the edit is. Ah. <laughs> I'm hoping to get this out for New Year. Otherwise, it, it ceases to be topical, yeah, yeah. doesn't it? So that's what we're going to do. Um, first thing I want to mention is, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Facebook decided that I couldn't access Facebook, and it completely locked me out of my account. Yeah. So I had to convert Hey Kids Comics to be a page, and I had to con- I had to create myself as a user. Now, so far, I've been able to remain anonymous on the first places, <laughs> but now I am on as me, which means I'll have to change the end tag... <laughs> this episode. Yeah. If I don't change the end tag, lovely listener, I couldn't be asked. It's as simple as that, but I'll change so it for you're the episode. you're not to change the end tag, then, is what, what you're saying. Yeah, because it's, it's now, Hey Kids Comics is now a page. Yeah. But Michael is still on as Michael, so if I've suddenly gone dark on you, <laughs> you've not seen anything fun, if you want to refriend me, feel feel free. I tried to refriend all the people that I could remember. Mm. So if I refriended you, <laughs> well done, I remembered you. Uh, and then I went on Two True Freaks and said, look, this happened, and loads of people refriended me, which was lovely of them, thank you very much. But if for some reason you're confused as to where I've gone, or where the Hey Kids Comics thing has gone, uh, that's where it's gone. Because yeah. Facebook is shite. And it made me do, oh, it made me dance through loads of stupid oops. Mm. I'm having oops to do what it wanted to. But anyway, we've, we've sorted it now. I'm on as me. So if you want to look up Andrew Leyland and say hi... I'm there. Okay, this episode is our annual, um, it's a little bit of a hodgepodge episode, this, isn't it? We talk yeah. about what we've got for Christmas, we've got a couple of really good New Year's type comics to talk about, which is Amazing Spider-Man 166, and Superman 333, the first American Superman comic I ever got, which is why it's on the show, it's Good an important... Talk about that one. We are, it's great, isn't it? Absolutely <laughs> blinded, absolutely brilliant piece. Um, so we'll, we'll also do email as well, because we've only got two emails. Yeah. Two emails in the sack, so as usual, we'll kick off with an email. Uh, the first email is called, What the Hell is Bonfire Night? Well, I would like to think that our episode el- elucidated on what Bonfire Night is. Explained it thoroughly. <laughs> it's from Chris Franklin. Hello, Christopher! It's always lovely to hear from Chris. Hello, Leylands. Man, you guys sure know when a guy needs a pick-me-up. Lots of stressful stuff flying at me right at the moment, so a dose of Hey Kids comics is just what the doctor ordered. The doctor. Just not the one you're expecting. Just not the one you're... (laughs) Very good! (laughs) I love doing these with you. Chris continues, I'm glad you changed your mind about Halloween halfway through your tirade, Andy. I love the Halloween season myself. Who doesn't love dressing up and begging for candy? Oh, me. (laughs) 
<laughs> I still use it as an excuse to dress up myself and go out with the kids. What other time of year can a grown man parade around town in a Mr. Incredible costume? And can I just interrupt this mighty missive, though, to say that um, looking on the Franklin's Facebook pages of, of the lovely Christopher and his lovely wife, Cindy, the pictures of the family dressed up for Halloween are, are mint. Okay. Kids still say mint. Oh, we moved past that. Oh, well, I'm dating myself. You are, yeah. All right, they're, they're great. Sound. There's sound. Yeah. Sound. <laughs> there, um, there's pictures of them all dressed up as the Scooby Doo's, right. like Chris's Fred and Cindy's Thelma, I think, and the two kids are, are um, Scooby and Scrappy or something like that. Yeah. And then there's Mr. Incredible, and there's some lovely pictures of all four of them in Halloween costumes that are really adorable. And I showed them to your mum. I showed them to Angela, and even she, it even hardened her cynical heart. <laughs> <laughs> so you've achieved something there when you harden the heart of the cynical wife. So uh, if you're friends with Chris and Cindy, and why would you not be? Yeah. And you don't listen to Super Friends, and why would you not? Uh, go and check out their Facebook pictures of them dressed up at Halloween, because they really are adorable. I really do love them a lot. Um, Chris continues, I have that essential tomb of Dracula with this tail. And I remember being surprised at the appearance of Carl Kolchak. I remember being surprised <laughs> that they didn't pay a royalty. Yeah. <laughs> That's what surprised me. This is a fun little breather after the heavy Doctor Sun storyline. I know Marv Wolfman was in love with the character of Harold H. Harold, an analogue for himself, but I didn't really care for his addition to the cast. But there were some interesting wrinkles added via the character, including roping in this obvious doppelganger for Darren McGavin. And yes, everything is better with McGavin, even the crappy 90s Captain America movie. As for Dracula and the Sun, yes, yeah, sunlight didn't really seem to bother Dracula too much in the book. I think he was said to be weaker in daylight, but it wouldn't destroy him. I believe the idea of sunlight harming or killing a vampire comes from the German film Nosferatu, which was an unauthorised adaptation of Dracula. The vampire Count Orlok is destroyed as the sun rises in that film. From there, the notion was carried over into more movies like Return of the Vampire and Horror of Dracula, which Cindy and I both covered on Supermates. Plug. Peter Gushing pulls down the curtains and Christopher Lee's Dracula is turned to ash by the rising sun in a glorious finale. The House of Mystery story sounds like a lot of creepy fun. Just from your reading, I wondered if the girl John was smitten with didn't somehow burn the teacher, and perhaps her father. Just a thought. If I actually read it myself, I may think differently. That, Chris, is genius. Mm. I love how he takes... Chris is such a sunny guy, and then he just takes such a dark twist. I love people like that. I love people with dark underbellies. Yeah, let, let you into the warm exterior. Yeah, and then suddenly turn dark on you. Always fun. Thanks again for the Halloween bonfire night treat. Nice to hear Michael is working hard <laughs> at university. You're Chris. joking, but that last week was a pain. It was, it was. Fair flirt, yeah, for that last week. Where Michael essentially did not sleep for four days. Three. Or was it three I like days? I to myself up. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> okay, should we get right into it then? Uh, yeah. Right. I, I think it should be pointed out, uh, all of my presents this, this year come off my wife, except... Oh, no, Michael, Michael. First of all, Michael got something for me, and he got me a, a BB-8. Are they Funko things? Yeah. Is that what it is? He got me a BB-8 Funko. It is the first gift you have ever bought me with your own money, isn't it? No, it's not. Is it not? One of your Superman box sets? George, my, George, George Reeves. Reeves. Yeah, yeah, you bought me a George Reeves yeah. box out, yeah. Fair play, yeah. Okay, so I second you, present. I bought you that before we even went watching the movie, so I thought, I'm sure he'll like it. <laughs> he better like it. <laughs> if he comes out going, I bloody hated that football drive. <laughs> yeah, I'd have given it to Anya. <laughs> 
So I knew we'd have ended up with a stack of Funkos. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Michael got me a BB-8 Funko, which proudly sits on my bookshelf in front of my uh, Star Wars Omnibus volume. So thank you. No, you are very welcome. That's very kind. Uh, the other person who sent me presents is my illustrious, fantastic-ass partner, Stephen Lacey sent me presents. Right. Which was really lovely because I sent him nothing. <laughs> now, to was be he fair, expecting something or something? I don't know. I doubt it. Going <laughs> Stephen, he's very generous. Mm. But um, to be fair, I did look for him stuff at the lakes, didn't I? Because yeah. I got a lot of people presents at the lake, and there was nothing that leapt out of me for Stephen. And I was a bit pissed off about that. And it was only the other morning when I was saying this to your mum. Yeah. And your mum, ever the pragmatist, said, "Well, why didn't you just get him something that was signed by Darwin Cook?" And I was like, where were you on the day? Could have gotten him a, a sketch. Yeah, and I, I didn't think about it at the time. It's just one of them things, it's so obvious I don't think about it. Anyway, Stephen sent me something really, really, really cool. Uh, he sent me two editions of the Fantastic Four Pocketbook. Uh, the British black and white A3 one. I used to have these. A5. A5, sorry. I have no idea where my copies of these went. They right. just kind of disappeared. Into the, yeah, Conan had a pocketbook as well. Oh, it's That's, just an advert. Yeah, it's just an advert. For, well, it's an advert for Savage Sword of Conan every month, but he did have a pocketbook as well, because I read a couple of the Barry Windsor Smith. Uh, this one, Fantastic Four, number one, starts with Bedlam at the Baxter Building, which is the marriage of Reed and Sue, and they're carried through with the Stan and Jack stuff from there. So the early Stan and Jack stuff wasn't covered. And he sent me issues one and two, right. which is fantastic. I don't know where he got these from. These are brilliant. I love these little pocketbooks. I've still got a couple of Spider-Man ones. But I don't have uh, any of the others. I had Conan, I had Fantastic Four, I had, was it Star Heroes? That had Battlestar Galactica and Micronauts in it? But I didn't have any of the Man-Thing ones. Right. So I, I did have that. He also sent me, this was, this was brilliant, I loved this. Mm. He sent me Star Trek Planet of the Apes, the Primate Directive, which boom trade paperback of the six-issue miniseries, which is great right. in and of itself. But then I opened it, and he's got it signed by Rachel Scott. Scott, sorry, not Scott. Right. Oh, that's a... And a little sketch of um, of the lawgiver. Right. That was just, and it's to me. Yeah. I was, I was quite touched, and uh, genuinely, like, this is brilliant. I love this, and it made me feel even more guilty, <laughs> which is the point of a present. That's true, quite frankly. And he also sent me <laughs> some fridge magnets of the Fantastic Four movie, which he said I can use as target practice. <laughs> oh, <that book. laughs> Yeah, put him on a dartboard. Because you can't look at that now and go, it's Captain America. That's true. Isn't it? But, uh, I don't know who that guy in the green cape is. That's not Doctor Doom, though, is it? I love that it's, it's they've recycled, it's the same picture yeah. of Johnny Storm in both <laughs> images. So he, he said I can uh, use that for target practice. Angela said I can put the Fantastic Four logo on the fridge. How generous. Yeah, but she's not letting me use any of the others. <laughs> so, so that was great. So thank you, Stephen. I very much appreciated them. They were lovely. Really good. You want to go next? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll start with these ones. Okay. Uh, well, off my girlfriend, yeah. I, uh, um, Lil Bub, a plush Lil Bub. Now, you don't know what Lil Bub is, I'm do you? I'm not going to tell you what Lil yeah. Bub is. Internet sensation. That's why I don't know what Lil Bub is. A retarded cat. And I'm, I'm not being insulted. Everything that could have possibly gone wrong with this cat went wrong. Its jaw is smaller than its skull. Its tongue is always Isn't everybody's out. jaw smaller it's than It's stuck. No, no, it's tiny. Oh, right. It's, it's, it's a stuck as a perma-kitten, so it's always kitten size. On top of that, it's a dwarf, so it's even smaller. Its legs are all different sizes. And it's an internet sensor. Is this what it takes to be an internet sensor? adorable. Now, the owner... Yes. Has taken it, taken it in, looked after it. Paid, it, it must cost a lot because of everything that's wrong. Oh, with the it. vet's bill. However, mm. 
raking in the cash because he's realised how cute this kitten is and how massive it is. So he's created a store where you can buy really expensive little bum <laughs> merchandise <laughs> to pay for his vet bill. I think a little bit mercenary or genius. So you must decide. That's, that's true. We'll sit in there. <laughs> What else? And as well as that, I have a Commander Catbug. Now, Catbug is also an internet sensation from Bravest Warriors. From the Adventure Time people. It's Yeah, from Adventure Time, but it's a YouTube-only thing, because it's more mature than Adventure Time. I wouldn't say mature. See, I do know what Catbug is. See, I I thought it would have been like Adventure Time, you know, Cartoon Network, family-friendly. In the first episode... Uh, the main characters, can you come and help us? Da, 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 da. And one of the main characters turns around and says, cough. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, oh, okay. okay. And this is from uh, uh, an episode where it goes all timey, t- timey, wimey. And the little cute cat bug turns into Captain Picard, Commander Catbug, and starts yelling at people. Go on, do your impression. You're in a position to demand nothing, Kitchen Witch Tezuka. <laughs> Which is a line from Wrath of Khan. Is it? Yeah. You are in a position to demand nothing. I am in a position to live for grant. Nothing's calm. That's what Khan says, Admiral Kirk. So that's where they've, they've got it. Nope. Out the airlock. Out the airlock. Your mum loves that. <laughs> that cat book thing. Alright, okay. Well, a little bit of blitzing through before we go into in-depth in the books. Uh, because Angela didn't have a job for six months and now has a job, she kind of spoiled me a bit, which I don't mind. <laughs> and uh, she got me two Star Wars toys from the Black series. Those are those are good. Poe's X-wing fighter, which is the black and orange one, which I think is really cool. You're not smitten with it, are you? Uh, for the original. I like that. I really like that X-wing fighter. That's number twelve. In the, black, them all. in the Black series. And she also got me the first order Special Forces Tie Fighter, which is the one we read on it. Right. Which I think is great. That little bit of red. That little bit of red just sets it apart. <laughs> you know what That's number four. Right. In the Black Series. I like both of them. So they're really cool. They're gonna, I'm going to open them. I'm not leaving them in the box. Yeah. I'm going to open them and put them on my bookshelf. I've left them here so I remember that I got them. And she got me a Spider-Man action figure. Yeah. To go with my other Spider-Man action figures. And this one is Ultimate Spider-Man. So it's Miles Morales, isn't it? Yes. So I've now got... Can they call him Ultimate Spider-Man now? Well, this will have come out before it was Ultimate Spider-Man. That's but true. yeah, you're right. Now he's just Spider-Man. Because yeah. like, there's nothing like diluting a brand. <laughs> and, and Marvel know very well how to dilute a brand, evidently. Yeah. Spider-Man, Spider-Man Ultimate, Spider-Gwen, Silk, all these other things that they're doing at the minute. Spider-Verse, which give us you know loads of other stuff. Because, you know... Anyway, but I like that, because A, I like the costume, even though I've never read so much as... I it's think I've read a little... How much Miles Morales have I read? You know better than I do. I've read Spider-Man, the ultimate Spider-Man. That's pretty much all I've read, isn't crossover. it? Yeah, that's all I've read. I don't, I don't have anything against him. It's the costume uh, it's quite similar to Alex Ross's redesign for it the movie. It does look a lot like Alex Ross's redesign for the movie, you're absolutely right. So I made up with that, because it means now I've got black-suited Spider-Man, Ben Riley Spider-Man, Spider-Man Normal, I've now got Miles Morales, I've got Spider-Man 2099, and I've got hooded Ben Riley. Where are all them? They're upstairs. Ah, uh, you get them in the boxes. I'm, yeah, but I'm kind of like, oh, screw that, and I'm going to put them up there with the rest of them. Because I think they look pretty cool. Mm. So, yeah, so that's another addition to my Spider-Man action figure collection. Uh, uh, which I made up. That's, uh, what size are they? Are they 7 inch, 6 inch? A bit smaller, a bit bigger than 6. Three if you think mini-mates are 6 inch. Are they? Yeah. All right. Well, it's, oh, it's, the, it's the Marvel Infinite series, whatever the hell that is. No, I don't bloody know. <laughs> I have not got a clue what that means. Um, what have you got? What have you got? Well, i got something from Mum. Uh, I got yeah, that was that was specifically from Bob. Yeah, yeah. Well, me and you read you through them. Yeah. Uh, it's a set of James Bond Hot Wheels cars. Yeah, all five. There's five of them, yeah. Uh, there's uh, the DBS, 
from Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. The uh, 71 Mustang from Diamonds of Forever. Yes. The, the one that goes in the alley on two wheels and then comes out the other on the other two wheels. Does it? Yeah. Uh, the 64 Lincoln from Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. The Aston Martin uh, DB5, apparently from, from Skyfall. Yeah. <laughs> Not from Goldfinger Not at all. Not from Goldfinger. And the Lotus Esprit from The Spy Who Loved Me. That's cool. Which actually, to be honest, isn't that cool when I'm used to playing with yours, which actually goes underwater and has the Actually, and has the, sh- and has the rockets it's, yeah, that it? they would ban in later years. Because well, they shot someone yeah. right out. Well, and the Boba Fett thing changed all around. And originally, Boba Fett was supposed to have a firing rocket. My Django Fett had a firing rocket. It? Yeah. Right. Essentially, it had um, a spring inside it, mm. and there was a really long missile. Yeah, there was. And you put it through, and you pulled it, and then let go, and it shot out. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I wonder why we... Where did you get a cooler tie there than we did? Although, granted, our Han Solo blast pistol isn't bright orange. That's true. <laughs> so, okay. A couple of brief books that we don't really have a lot to, to say about. Um, the, the books that we do have lots to say about will serve till later. Uh, Angela got me a Star Wars novel, because she normally buys me a Star Wars novel. Uh, and she got me Kenobi, which is by John Jackson Miller, which I've been after for a while. At the current moment, I'm reading Shatterpoint by Matthew Stover, so this will have to go on to the the wait until I finish Shatterpoint um, pile, but uh, I, I may do a Palace Literary Lights on that, if it's any good, because I do like me some Kenobi. Uh, she got me The Story of Two Pretty Good Bad Men <laughs> by Sandra K. Sagala and Joanne M. Bagwell, which is a book all about Alias Smith and Jones. Right. Who knew that such a book <laughs> existed? Who knew that they could say so much about it? Who knew they could say so much about a series that only lasted two seasons, three seasons, two of which were mid-season replacements? Right. But, yeah, so there's an entire book about Elias Smith and Jones. Who knew? I want one of these for Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. Do you know what? If nobody's done it, I should write it. Go for it. I should totally write one of these about Starsky and Hutch. What would I call it? Zebra 3 or The Word on the Street? Oh, call Volume 2 The Word on the Street and the first one Zebra 3. There won't be a Volume 2, dude. It won't be that popular. My Starsky and Hutch big book. <laughs> yeah. My big exposer. A hardcover version? I, I like Word on the Street. I like Word on the Street. Yeah. Uh, that's a better title, isn't it, than Zebra 3. But, um, yeah, if there's not, there's one of these for Ailey Smith and Jones. I've got Destination Move Space 1999 has one. The Dukes of Hazard has one. Oh, that alley there. The Starsky and Hutch story. I like quite like that about that alley. That's a good one. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's very good. And um, something else that I've not really delved into yet is she got me The Road to No Man's Land Volume 1. How many of those are they doing? Uh, two volumes of this, right. second volume of which isn't out yet, so I can't read this. But as it currently stands, I'm really confused by this. Mm. So I'm hoping that somebody who listens can can uh, let me in on what exactly is going on. The No Man's Land is already out as five big fat trade paperbacks, which I've got. It's the, four, not, isn't it? Uh, is it four? Yeah, yeah, it's four. You're absolutely right. It's four. Um, How many did it used to be? The it used to ones? be five, and it didn't have as much in as those four do. Right. And it's the ones with the, the side panel that's like red and... Bergen like bro. a warden off tape. Yeah, that kind of thing. So then you've got Cataclysm is already out, which I've already got. Mm. And I've got the Road to No Man's Land 1 and then the Road to No Man's Land 2, but they've already solicited Contagion. And Contagion comes before. So does Contagion come before Cataclysm? Yes. So then it's going to be the Contagion Cataclysm, then Road to No Man's Land 1 and 2, and then all of No Man's Land. Yeah. Why have they released it in such a stupid order? Maybe... No Man's Land is the more memorable of those stories, Which right? it is. So maybe if these new trades do well, mm. they would then uh, do catacly- go back to Cataclysm to start off the No Man's Land story, and then they're filling in those blanks, Yeah. and then they're expanding it further with Contagion. 
Possibly. So basically what that means is, I can't actually read this until I've got Contagion and Road to No Man's Land 2. I suppose. I've read Contagion, it's good. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I don't remember anything about it other than there's a big earthquake. That's at, that's at the very end. Right, okay. So that reads into Cataclysm. Yeah. Which leads into No Man's Land. Mm-hmm. Alright, but yeah, I am very much looking forward to these, because this was a good era for Batman, in uh, in a lot of ways. Oh, there's a, there's a tech story in it. That's quite nice, isn't it? Who's creative teams on all of this? Have they got rid of the creative team at this point? Oh, no, it's still Doug Mensch, Alan Grant and Chuck Dixon. Chuck Dixon... Uh, Alan Grant brought an awful lot of this. Mm. There's an awful lot of uh, stuff here from um, Shadow of the Bat. So, all right, fair enough. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. What's you? Um, I don't have much in the way of books, and the one that I do have, like, we're going to be delving into a bit. I know, but you can talk about your albums first. Yeah, uh, I got Fallout 4. Yay. I, I waited, because I didn't want to spend my own money on it. <laughs> Very sensible I, for a student. I, I bought Fallout instead, and uh, no, Battlefront instead, and I've, I've not regretted that choice. Uh, from Your Mother, my uh, Nana Julie, yeah. I got uh, Daft Punk's latest album, I say latest, it's a few years ago, uh, Random Access Memories, which is really, really rather good. Mm-hmm. Quite different from the usual stuff. So I, th- I thought you already had that on, on vinyl. I thought you would have already had that on vinyl. Well, it's, it's one of those, I really like the album, and I really like it, but there's been other things, Yeah. so I've, I've kind of forgotten about this. I mean, it's kind of like the latest Arctic Monkeys one. Everyone's got it, so it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, so it's not a rare pressing, then? No, 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 definitely not. Yeah, well, my mum got me a game as well. She got me Star Wars Battlefront. Woohoo! Yeah. So, if you're listening to this lovely listener and you've got a PS4, friend me! And, and me. We can all so play that we together. can all play together. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? It would be. Uh, and also, you got me Sergeant the Beatles... Sergeant Peppers. I don't think you need to tell everyone that the Beatles did Sergeant Peppers. <laughs> well, you know. There may, be, there may be some kid listening who is not aware of this new band called exactly, Beatles. Exactly, exactly. And is not aware that Sergeant Peppers is one of the greatest albums ever made. There's this kid somewhere out there whose mother thought this was the music of Satan. <laughs> and so I thought it was Kiss. No, it was, um, what's his face, wasn't it? Who? Uh, Buddy Holly. Was Buddy Holly the music think, of Satan as well? I think it was. Satan has got an awful lot of good people on his side. I was, I was, I was listening to some Buddy Holly the other day, and I wouldn't exactly say that it's... Uh, no, no, it's, it's, not, it's not Satan-esque, is it? It's, it's not. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it was Satan-esque, no. Um, Alright, we'll take a break from Prezi's and email, and we'll cover a comic. What say you, we do what this show used to do. Which is cover a comic book. Yeah. Uh, Alright, so the first one that we're going to cover tonight, what are you chuckling at? I would like the sticker on. Alright, buy one, get one half price. I wonder what the other one they bought was? I have no idea. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, uh, so the first comic we're going to cover tonight, the comics tonight both have a, a similar theme to uh, to last week's Christmas slash New Year show. Uh, we said last time, as with films, there are comic book stories that are set at Christmas, mm-hmm. but aren't necessarily... Christmas stories. Right. And then there are stories that are, by the, the very nature, could not be sent any other time. So the two comics that we've picked tonight, Amazing Spider-Man 166, is set at Christmas, mm. but that doesn't really play into the story until the last page, does it? In every yeah. other respect, this story could take place any time as long as it's snowing. Yeah. Because that's integral to the story. And then Superman 333 is, is on New Year's Eve. That's when the story's set. Yeah. That is very important to the story. They, 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 they delve into quite a lot of detail to explain how, why they can do so many New Year's. Yeah, well, we're not doing Superman yet. That's okay. We're going to do Spider-Man first, because uh, it's Spider-Man. Um, so, so, two classic issues. Mm-hmm. I think you will agree, lovely listener. Uh, the first one uh, that we've picked, two issues I've got a very personal connection to. 
that's why I picked them. Because you picked last year's. Yes, I did. So I got to pick this well, year's. We both that's picked that's last year's. Well, I threw in Outman's big adventure in the. But it was mostly happy. But it was mostly happy, yeah. Come on, get happy, wasn't it? The Grant Morrison thing. So the, the first holiday issue is Amazing Spider Man issue 166, story I first read in the Amazing Spider Man annual from 1980. The cover. Is by John Romita Jr. It's 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 excellent because John Jr. Not John Jr. John Romita, not John Romita Jr. It's just yeah. John Romita, isn't it? Not John Jr. John Jr.'s not started yet. John Senior. Yes, that's the one I meant. Uh, he didn't do any bad covers in the seventies. Yeah, I think everything that he touched was 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 fantastic. Uh, the cover is decorated with Christmas wreaths, and Spider-Man bursts through some French doors to confront the Lizard and Stegro. It's the holiday holocaust we call War of the Reptile Men. Runs the cover copy with Spider-Man trapped in the middle. If the lizard doesn't get you, the lizard hisses, then Stegron will, state Stegron. Brilliantly laid out by John Romita, inks by Frank Gaiacoya. Uh, I think this is a stunning cover from the era where Mr. Romita did nothing but stunning covers. What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. It's classic, isn't it? It's a yeah. classic Spider-Man cover, in many ways. Spider-Man looks how Spider-Man should look. And I like how there's, there's dialogue in this cover, because I would have had no idea who Stegron is until I read it. Would you not? No. I, well, I remember him, but I wouldn't have gone, Hi, yes, Stegron. I remember him fondly. You know what I think? I think you've read my annual at some point. I must have done, yeah. Because I think you waded through all of them at some point when you were a kid. Because yeah, you, you vaguely remember, you were like, well, have we not done this? Yeah, I, I definitely remember reading this at some point in my life. I think you've just waded through my annuals at some point. Yeah. I would explain it. The War of the Reptile Men. Which is a brilliant title. Uh, it was cover dated March 1977, but obviously came out December 6th, 1976. It was written by Len Wein, with art by Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito. Spider-Man swings through the snowy night, still wondering where Stegron the Dinosaur Man could be. He arrives at his destination, the home of Kurt Connors, only to be shocked by the appearance of the Lizard. The holiday traffic prevents Spider-Man from following the Lizard, so he pops in to see Martha Connors for a cup of coffee. She tells Spidey that Kurt was contacted by Stegron, who in human form was Kurt's lab assistant. He's kidnapped Billy, Kurt's son, and needed Kurt to do something for him, but the strain turned Kurt into the Lizard again. Spider-Man tells Martha he'll find them both. After a few pages of subplots, the lizard finds Stegron just after he has used his retro-generation ray to re-enfleshen a collection of dinosaur bones Stegron stole from the museum. The lizard and he fight. After all, this world isn't big enough for two master of reptiles. The dinosaurs then come alive and lizard saves Billy rather than fight. The dinosaurs spill onto the streets and Spider-Man hears them, blinding them with his webbing. He then leaves them with New York's finest to deal with Stegron and the Lizard. What the cops are going to do with dinosaurs is left unanswered. Spider-Man lobs some cure down the Lizard's throat, but this allows Stegron to take him from behind. It were misses. However, Spider-Man now has an ace in the hole, and Kurt Connors gets to work, reversing the polarity of Stegron's device. He and Spider-Man then stop the dinosaurs, and Spider-Man takes off after Stegron. The snow, however, is becoming oppressive to Stegron, and he starts to falter. In Central Park, he stumbles and falls, disappearing into the water, which ices up above him. With a heavy snowfall over New York City, Spider-Man wishes the Big Apple a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Quite succinct in the uh, recap department, wasn't it? A brilliant splash page. I think I've said before, Ross Andrew is a hugely underrated Spider-Man artist, especially when you consider he did this for five years. Yeah. Five-year runs pretty much unheard of nowadays, isn't it? Not exactly. How long's Dan Slot been on it? 
Well, yeah, there is that. Um, yeah, he does it with rotating artists, though. Like, right. Ross Andrew drew this. Do you mean, yeah, okay. for, for five years. Um, I mean, he, he also drew the first Superman, Spider-Man team-up. Right, yeah. So he got some recognition. It's very similar to um, Godzilla, that, that, co- that splash page. Why, why do you think that? The dinosaur towering over a city. Oh, right, so the symbolic Stegron towering over New York as Spider-Man swings through. Uh, the thing with that, it always looks like Spider-Man's really, really high... Like in above the skyscraper, so you're left to wonder what the hell he's swinging at. Well, I quite like the position of Stegman and Spider-Man on that. It, it is a little bit suggestive, yes, isn't it? Yeah. It, it does look like... Um, Especially the opposition. Come here, Spider! Yeah, it's like Stegron's reaching to grab all the Spidey who's got his bum in the air, and Stegron's about to, you know... Grabbing onto Spidey's love handles. Well, that. bugger me, <laughs> Spider-Man may be saying. <laughs> don't take any getting me not. It's looking like a white Christmas. It's, oh! It's, take that out of the equation. Of course, yes. And it's, it's, it's a great splash page. Um, it's typically bronze, it's a typically Bronze Age comic book. Yes. In, in more than one respect. Um, we're thrown right into the story. Mm. Uh, there's no real clue that it's a two part story. So as readers who just pick up this issue won't be lost, even though it's quite clearly continuing certain plot threads. We're a third of the way into the issue before the reader is brought up to speed. And unlike a lot of Bronze Age comic stories, Martha Connors explaining to Spider-Man what's going on actually works. Because she's explaining to Spider-Man. Yeah, as... And as the reader, we get the explanation of Spider-Man does. Yeah. So that brings us up to speed. He doesn't really explain where Stegron came from, much other than that throwaway line, he was Kirk on his lab assistant. You don't really need anything else, do you? I suppose, yeah. It's, it's you know, I mean, he's, he's a typically Bronze Age villain, is Stegron. Yes. Because he's basically... A dinosaur? Yes, but he, he's also take an old villain, twist him slightly... Yeah. And bring him into the Bronze Age. And that, that describes a lot of villains in the Bronze Age. They were just twists on Silver Age villains. Yeah. But there is something cool about him. I've got a big soft spot for Stegron. Yeah. Daft though he is. <laughs> a man-sized dinosaur. See, if you say it like that, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, that's what I... I love Stegron. I think Stegron's an absolutely brilliant villain. Why, has he been in it more than this? Yeah, he is. It's, I'm sure there's another Stegron story. Right. That I'm trying to remember off the top of my head and failing miserably. Was it the symbiotes one? It may have been. Or am I... Because I, rem- I remember there being dinosaurs in one of the symbiote stories. What, War of the Symbiotes? Yeah. It may have been. I don't remember. I do think that Segron came back somewhere else. Because he's, he's too cool to not do. <laughs> Although you can't imagine anyone nowadays doing him justice, can you? He'd the, probably end up eating his son, wouldn't he? Yes, it's all just <laughs> been treated as being silly. Yeah. That's what they'd probably do with him, which is... Which is too silly or too serious. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much the default setting for comics at the minute, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. All right, good point. They wouldn't treat him as well as they do here. Yeah. Which is... He's, he's treated as a credible threat, despite being blatantly ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but his ridiculousness is what makes him great. Yeah. I think. Anyway. Um... Another thing to love about the Bronze Age, they don't really make an effort to integrate the subplots into the story. Oh, no. Rather, the story takes a break to do what Mike Bailey and Jeff Taylor call all subplots accounted for. (laughs) Which is essentially what this is. It takes a break in the middle of the issue to have two pages the subplots happen. Well, that Jonah Jameson one's great. Yeah, the, the Jonah Jameson one is brilliant. He commissions another Spider Slayer. Yeah. Despite the long history of these never working out for him. Yeah. Ever. And clearly been against the law. 
True. Yeah. Let's be honest. So you're it's kind of in the name. Spider Slayer. Yeah, I mean, he's paying somebody. He's not subtle. To make a robot that hunts somebody. Yeah. That's illegal, <laughs> Jonah. <laughs> Why don't you just hire a hitman? That would be no less illegal, but probably to save you a lot of money. I know, but it wouldn't be as fun, would it? It would not be as funny as the Spider Slayer. Which, again, is a ridiculous villain that I have an amazing soft spot for. Yeah. Again, not something they could pull off today, I don't think. I get it. Well, again, you kind of turned him into a bit of a comedic character. Yeah. So, all right. Marla Madison creates this Spider Slayer. Yeah. Who Jonah ends up marrying. Right. And then Dan Slott ends up killing off. Yeah. But I haven't forgiven Dan Slott for killing off um, Mayor Parker's parents. On the plus side, the, Mm. the funeral issue was really good. The funeral issue. Oh, yeah, the funeral issue for Marlon Madison. Yes, it, it was. Was that 666? Mrs. Panama 666? Uh, it, was, it was, what's his face? The arty guy who worked on Daredevil. Marcus Martin? Yes, Marcus Martin did really wacky layouts in that. He did. He did a good couple of issues of Spider-Man he, in that post-Brand New Day era. the great two-page Stan Lee ones. Yes, the, the backup strips. Yeah. Yeah, which were artistically interesting, if, if nothing else. Uh, the other major subplot for the issue, Harry Osborn and Liz Allen announced they're getting married. Both of these subplots will have more of an impact on the series. They just want, they're just one pages each, aren't they? Yeah, but both of these will have major ramifications. Yeah. Far more than the main story. Yes. Stegron's kind of been forgotten, has been a little bit silly, and the lizard now eats his babies. <laughs> but the Spider Slayer, again, don't go anywhere, but Marla marries Jonah, so she sticks around. Yeah. And Harry and Liz getting married becomes a major plot point and although they disappear for the book for a while they come back later with and Liz, yeah with little Naomi and now Liz is in charge of, of Osborne Industries and Harry is b- relieved to be dead isn't it, he? is this currently? yeah right so I've not read it since Superior yeah so so both of them are still in the boot but now they're split up I don't know if they're divorced or not. Oh, he... How can they be divorced if Harry died? How does that work? No they got divorced and then he ended up getting married to that other one who had Norman's Baby. Did they? Yeah. I don't remember. I remember. See, Harry died. Because that was the Iron Patriot story. Right, because then one more day happened when Mephisto wiped the marriage. Yeah. And apparently Mephisto wiping the marriage of Peter and Mary Jane somehow brought Harry back to life. A development I'm still not entirely clear on how that happened. That's uh, okay. <laughs> but anyway, and since then they've not been together, although little Normie still exists. Right. So it, it was timey. Maybe they had a baby stuff. but didn't get married. Maybe. I, I don't know. I think Harry I think Harry and Liz did still get married. Right. But got a divorce. It's just Peter and Mary Jane that, that never married. Right. And therefore all those stories happened exactly the same way. Of course. But Peter and Mary Jane weren't married. You know, in that way that marriage just doesn't affect anything. <laughs> well done, Joe. Um, the other thing about this that's brilliant is Marvel could never actually decide how old Billy Connors was. Here, he seems like he's about 15, doesn't he? Yeah. Whereas, that makes kind of sense from his first appearance, because it would make this book still happening in real time from when Spider-Man was first published. Mm. So from Billy first appearing in 1960-whatever, 63 or 64 or whenever he first appeared, to when this was, which was 1976, him being about 14, 15 years of age would be roughly right. Yeah. But that would also mean that Peter is now 30. Right. Which he plainly isn't in this story. Mm. He's still about 21, isn't he? Or 20-ish, early 20s. So then not knowing how old these characters are is, effect- is weird because it affects other characters. Yeah, but then we'll see Billy again later on and they'll have de-aged him. 
Yeah. It's the Franklin Richards problem, mm. basically. When you put a kid in a comic, you never know how, how old he is. I mean, you know. This the, the design for the lizard here is quite. I'm not fond of it. Why not? It's it's just weird. Although, because I kind of grew up with the the nineties mm. lizard, more McFarlane. Yeah, the McFarlane one. Yeah. So seeing this is a bit weird. It's more of it's more Dickoey, but yeah, it's been streamlined a lot since Dicko did it. Mm. He does. He does just look like a, a giant iguana. Pretty much, yeah. Which Isn't I suppose it? is faithful to what the character is. Yeah, but my, my thing with this is, right, Stegron doesn't wear any clothes, mm. but the lizard does. Yeah. So the lizard still has pants Yeah. and his, his lab jacket, but Stegron's walking around tackle out. I quite, I, I quite like the look of the lizard with his coat on. But you like him with his, his thing? I do, actually, but uh, you know, I suppose you could get into that's the humanity of Doc Connors, whereas Stegron is now completely the animal and... Oh, I do like that reading of it. Yeah. Very good. Well done, Symbolism Boy. <laughs> that's, that's actually really brilliant, you know. Stegron's plan. What do you think of Stegron's plan? It's a bit... Bronze Age? <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. The Godzilla gang. Yeah, I love this. He's, what's he call it? He's re... What's the name for his, his thing? He's retro-generation ray. Apparently he fires all the rage this of all the rage. He fires this at skeletons of dinosaurs and it puts flesh on them. Yeah. <laughs> and his his ultimate goal is to clone an army of dinosaurs yeah. from these four or five that he's just made. It's brilliant, isn't it? Apparently never seen Jurassic Park. <laughs> Well, in 1976, no. But you, you did want a, a Jeff Goldblum. Just because you can do something <laughs> doesn't mean you should do something. The running and the screaming. Yeah, it's, it's, you're right. It's brilliantly bronze. <laughs> oh, I can't describe you how much I love this story. I, um, I just love how, like, the, 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 the dinosaur skeletons, he just shoots them and... Realistically, nothing would happen. Then Stegron's like, "Oh yeah, I'm sorry." Realism. This is true. Stegron would have shot that and gone, "Oh yes, I forgot. These are plastic casts." <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it puts flesh back on the bones. But at no point what? does it say it recreates Matter. brains and yeah and all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, he's put flesh back on them, but they should still just be like. You know, statues. Yeah. But anyway, apparently this brings them back to life. <laughs> the science is a little woolly. It's very woolly. <laughs> and had he brought back a mammoth, yeah. that would have been brilliant. Hey! See what I did there, woolly mammoth. Yeah. I suppose this is the same story where someone was bit by a radioactive spider and is fine. Uh, someone is a living lizard, yeah, a man-sized yeah. lizard, and someone is a dinosaur. Yeah. So yeah, it's your suspension of disbelief has already been stretched. Been, been stretched to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So all right. Yeah. I mean, as I said, I adore this. I think this is absolutely brilliant. Um, and what's not to love about Spider-Man versus dinosaurs? That's yeah. <laughs> you know, if somebody gave me a comic where Spider-Man fought dinosaurs. <laughs> I'm not in the Savage Land either. In New York. In the, on the streets of New York. In the snow. In the snow. This is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. My favourite bit of this story is he helps the police. He webs up the dinosaurs and then says, all right, the police are here. They can handle the dinosaurs. 
And I was left just there at the bottom of page 17 going, Spider-Man, think that through for a minute. What are the police going to do... With a T-Rex. ...against a rampaging T-Rex, a rampaging Diplodocus, and a rampaging Tyrannosaurus? Yeah. I've just said to her, what's that one? That's a... Because no, that's the Diplodocus, that's the Tyrannosaurus. What's the one with the horns on his the head? Stegosaurus. Stegosaurus. Yeah. What, what are the police going to do against these? Call the zoo. <laughs> Call the fantastic... New, new additions to Call the Craven. zoo. Yes, Craven Hunter can handle these. Yeah, because now he's... His yeah. hunting is completely loose. Get him out of jail. Yeah. Offer him a pardon thing if he handles these dinosaurs. Okay. And he, he can use his magic potions that he... And then he'll go, ah, yes, I will deal with these and then fight my ultimate uh, my ultimate prey. Yeah. Spider-Man. Next issue's a Spider-Man Craven star. Yeah. Sadly, that didn't happen, unfortunately. Because other than this, this is just, just absolute genius. Mm. They're stomping down on Spider-Man and Billy and the police, who predictably couldn't stop a bunch of rampaging That's dinosaurs. A cool panel, it is a brilliant panel of the dinosaurs just the, the T-Rex's tail knocking them. I wonder if Spielberg read this comic <laughs> when he was a kid, and some of it stayed with it. And they're all advancing on Spider-Man and Billy and the cops, and they're about to die. And then Kurt Connors shows up, and he was able to reverse the effects of Stegron's retrogenerator. He reversed, he the, reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, the UK annual that this first appeared in cut off that last page. Right, because it's... Well, that makes no sense. Annuals came out at Christmas. That's true, yeah. So the last page is just Spider-Man swinging around town, and he drops by the corners to drop off the Christmas present. He leaves it out the window, which seems a bit stupid. Yeah. Because you're not going to look out the window and go, oh, a present. That's true. He should have knocked on the window or left it at the door or whatever. And then he swings off and says... Um, Considering he does let himself in earlier on. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Well, he does say it's a family moment. I'm not going to ruin it. I'm sure they would have said hi to him. Yeah. Oh, hi, Spiderman. He just saved our lives. Yeah. And the, the last panel of him swinging off over New York with the Christmas trees in the background. Out of the holly is the panel border. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely fantastic. And the next issue is another Spider Slayer. So. Absolutely great. An absolutely brilliant issue. It's utterly ridiculous. Yes. But therein lies its genius. The plot is insane. And yet works perfectly within its own internal comic book logic. Mm. Like you say, you know, this is already a comic that has somebody who's been bitten by a radioactive spider. Yeah. And somebody who's a living lizard. So dinosaurs isn't much of a stretch. There's not really a plot problem. Suppose when the Savage Land exists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you accept this... Yeah. The plot holds together pretty well. Yeah. There's no plot holes or anything in it, is there? There's no major problems with it's it. It's just a bit of a silly plot. Yeah. It's daft as a bag of spanners. Mm. But it's still good. And it's still entertaining. And it's still enjoying. And it rattles along at a really good pace. Yeah. It doesn't seem like you, you take any length of time to read it. The only thing wrong with it is there's a distinct lack of Peter Parker. I suppose. There's not a lot of Peter Parker in there. But the art's brilliant. And the ending borrows from War of the Worlds a little bit. Right. cold got them yeah. when uh, Stegron disappears underneath the, the water in Central Park uh, I love his last bits as well where he's like I would have won if it wasn't cold <laughs> <laughs> I love that there's nothing left for me to do but die how to be and I love every line that he every time he has an S how absurd to be beaten thus by the weather if I had stayed hidden till the spring I could have been master of the world and then he disappears into the water Yes, because the weather is why you failed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, 
absolute genius. Absolutely brilliant. What did you think of it? I didn't think it was quite fun. Um, I, I just like to see the dinosaurs. Yeah, well, dinosaurs always add yeah, a great exactly. deal to any story, don't they? Adverts in this one, the most exciting original motion picture event of all time. It's not really original, though, is it? No. Because it's a remake of King Kong. Yeah. So, yeah, better tagline. And also, we're just a year away from Star Wars. Actually, we're less than a year away from Star Wars if it's Christmas 76. Oh, we're five months away from Star Wars. Um, so, King Kong will be rendered obsolete by the uh, appearance of Star Wars. Advert for Mighty Marvel Treasury Editions. Love the treasuries. Who doesn't love treasuries? Mm-hmm. You have to lie on the floor to read them, which was what was great. Sorry. Advert for Foom subscription, Captain America and Spider-Man plug-in subscriptions, and the bullpen bulletin page has a brilliant black and white uh, Incredible Hulk cover, which I presume is from the Rampage in Hulk. Twinkies, horses Twinkies ad starring Iron Man in City Crisis. Don't recognise the art on that one. Uh, and that's it. No letters, Pat. Uh, Alright, should we do another email? Yeah. Let's do another email. Uh, our second email for this particular show is Keep On Rising, which is from Nathaniel Wayne. No, Nathaniel. Nathan- I keep saying Nathaniel, don't I? It's Nathaniel. Yeah. I'm sorry, Nathaniel. I keep getting that wrong. I, I love War of the Worlds, so you'd think I wouldn't, oh, wouldn't no. get that right. No, Nathaniel, no. I think I'd get that right, wouldn't I? I'll do my next record purchase. War of the Worlds? Yeah. I think you should get that on vinyl. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Um, dear Andrew and Michael. Oh, no, Michael and Andrew, you get first billing on this one. Oh, do I? Yeah, I was doing I was doing you out of your credit. <laughs> I suppose the usual way to it would be long-time listener, first-time writer, but I haven't been listening all that long, only since the all-star Batman episode. Oh, that is recent, isn't it? Mm. You've got a bat catalogue there, Nathaniel. Exactly. To work with, right? Got yourself a Christmas present there. Yeah, just listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas present or... Gift. <laughs> okay. However, I still feel the need to write to you and let you know how insanely fun... Your podcast is, oh, keep throwing the praise our way. We we love this. I could listen to the two of you all day, and as I work my way through older episodes, I've had a couple of days where I've done exactly that. It's gone to the point where I can't read the phrase, to be fur, without hearing it in Andrew's accent in my head. To be fur? Yeah, it has been pointed out by John Wilson that I say fur (laughs) instead of fur. Michael Bell says it right. I get it. People take the mech out of me at a unit. What, for fur? (laughs) Squirr. I hope you'll continue to resurrect the podcast as the opportunity presents itself, although I do enjoy Palace in the meantime. But let's be honest, it's not quite the same without the disaffected response of, it's all right. But as a late comer to your show, I just want to thank you for doing it as long and as consistently as you have. Sincerely, Nathaniel Wayne from Council of Geeks, home of 90s Comet Retrial. Shameless plug, 90s Comet Retrial is a great show. Mm-hmm. I really do like that show. Uh, yeah, so thank you. Yeah, we're going to resurrect it whenever Michael comes home. Yeah. And we've already got plans for January and February's episodes. And then we'll plenty of... Ch- oh, this, is this before we recorded those ones, is it? Yes, the episodes we've already recorded only going out in January and February. Okay. This is going out at the end of December. That's how months work. Thank you for explaining that to me. Well, I figured you needed it. <laughs> I was lost after all this time. Without TV, how can I know what day it is? <laughs> television day is just blurring so long. Uh, so, yeah, so thank you, Nathaniel Freemiller. We, like I say, we're going to resurrect it as and when, when Michael's home. Uh, depending on how, how long he comes home for, will also affect the number of episodes you get. So over the Christmas break, you'll, you'll, you've got five episodes. I mean, I'm spreading them out over January and February, but five episodes were recorded. So, uh, and then we'll we'll see how it goes when the next time you come home is, because obviously yeah. I don't know that at the minute. Should we go back to gifts? Yes. Should we go back to presents? Uh, a couple of volumes of the hardcover Walking Dead was also purchased. I kind of fell behind on this. The last one I had was issue ten, volume ten. 
So Angela bought me book 11 and book 12, so we're in completely uncharted waters here. Uh, the last one I read was 9. Right, I yeah, because I, I don't know... I don't know who any of these people are. No, that's that's the thing with this. I, I didn't know who any of these people were, to be honest with you. But uh, it carries on, so... I've yeah. just read 10, right. and I'm halfway through 11, so I'm at the end of the Negan story, or at the end... As it all our war, I think it was called. Yeah, is it so, is it good? Yeah, yeah, it's good. I kind of lost interest. In yeah, that. well, I was talking to Paul Spatara about this—the the, the repetitious nature of it. Rick finds a group of survivors. Yeah. they live together. It all falls apart. Yeah. Rick finds a group of survivors. Pretty much, it's, it's kind of. I mean, it's still good. It's still entertaining. It's still yeah. worth reading. I was quite interested in the last season of the the show when I heard that it was. Um, non-chronological non-linear it was it's kind of more it's not so much non-linear as episodes happen at the same time as other episodes right so you could you end up um, having like episode one happens and then two three four and five all happen concurrently Right. So you're following like Rick for an episode, and then Glenn for an episode, and then Daryl for an episode, but they're all happening within the same day. Yeah. So those three episodes all happen at the same time, which I thought was a very interesting way. Instead of cross cutting between each of the plots, yeah. I thought it was a very interesting way of doing it. These three episodes are for I can't remember how many they were. All happen at the same time. Weren't they playing about with, like, communication as well? Yeah, because... When they, they were, did the Glenn experiment. They were all supposed to be doing a task each... Yeah. ...that furthered one of Rick's plans. So, essentially, that's what you were seeing them do. Mm. And then you got a flashback in the middle of it all. You got a flashback to, um... I can't remember the character's name. The guy with the staff, who's very zen. Played by the British actor. Uh, Rick's neighbour. From the very first episode. Oh, right. He's now back. Right. Uh, I'm blanking on the actor's name. And I know him from loads of other stuff. But anyway, yeah, he's a regular now. Right. And so we got an episode that showed how he came to be, how he learned all the, in the, the Zen moves and stuff. Right. In the comics, didn't they just go back and rescue him? And he went a bit crazy and tried to kill his son. Yeah, in the TV show, the kind has gone slightly different from that. But I won't ruin it in case you do watch it. Okay, okay. okay you can go next. Uh, yeah, I, I got also off your mother and my Nana Jula. My mum. I got the uh, 2015 Private Eye Annual. Because <laughs> you're a proper student. Well, now that I've started uni, yeah. And, <laughs> well, we've been looking at editorial political cartoons as well, so all our teachers recommended reading this and, mm. and Viz. Um, and yeah, I quite, I quite like Private Eye. I quite like Ian Hislop as well. Is that... Because didn't you say Ian Hislop was doing a signing for it? He was in London. Oh, right. All in London. Yeah. Right, that's a shit. But it would have been nice if he'd come down to Trafford Centre or something. It's been quite handy as well, because one of my friends is quite political. So when I started uni, I had no idea who Rebecca Brooks was. Right. And now I'm acutely aware of how innocent she is. <laughs> <laughs> is that what we're going with? Yeah, <laughs> Um, my my last two because we'll do the last two together then because you've got two last ones and I've got two last ones. Yeah. Um, the big presents of the Christmas were omnibuy buses, omnibuses, omnibuy, omnibuses. Yeah, omnibisexuals. <laughs> I like to call them because they can be read by anybody. That okay? That's what. <laughs> what pronouns do they go by? I, 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 it's 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 omnifluid. <laughs> it's what they're going by. That's what they are. <laughs> So the first one that uh, I unwrapped was uh, absolutely brilliant. It's Shield, the complete collection. Right. Uh, Stanley, Jim Steranko, and Jack Kirby. So it's all the early Strange Tales 
that Jack Kirby, the then Jim Stranko, took over. And so you've got Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and you've got the ones after that that were, were they by Herb Trimpey? After after Steranko left, Frank Springer did some. Yeah, all trying to mimic Steranko. And the Steranko ones must look good in that. The Steranko ones look really good. If you have a, a brief flick through, um, one of my favourite things about this omnibus is I showed. I called you in when I was having a look through it, didn't yeah. I? But I can't find it now. One of the splash pages that Steranko did was over a couple of issues. Over a couple of pages, sorry. And what he had to do to get it to work was he had to generate a cliffhanger. Is that not it? Yes, it is. But he had to generate a cliffhanger at the end of Strange Tales issue 166 that wasn't originally supposed to be there. Mm. Because the way he paced the story meant that this wouldn't fit. Right. So this ended up being a completely separate segment. And what it is, is it's two double-page spreads. But what they've done in this omnibus is they've essentially made it as a fold-out so you can fold it out and read all four spreads together as one big long widescreen image. Essentially, what Jim Lee would do in All Star yeah. Batman and Brian Hitch would do in The Ultimates, Sterenko did it first, as he did with a lot of these things. Yeah. Because whatever you may think of Mr. Sterenko and his magnificently sized ego, <laughs> um, he was a genius. Yeah. I don't think there's any denying that. So I love that they've done that. So for the first time, they've actually presented that as he wanted it to be seen. Mm. Which I thought was really nice. And yeah, a lot of Sterenko stuff does look really good, so I'm really looking forward to delving into that. Who's that cover? Is it Ross? The cover is Alex Ross, which is um, a spoof, or not a spoof, but a recreation of a cover. Oh, it's a splash page, Strange Tales 136 and 151, so it's not a cover. It's a homage to different splash pages that he's reworked as a cover. Right. So that's really cool. I'm looking forward to that. That only came about because I was listening to Blaine Dowler's podcast, which covers all of the Marvel, the 75 best Marvel stories, right. as voted for by readers, which means more than half of them aren't the best. Because, <laughs> you know, readers. And he made this sound genius. Mm. And I've only ever read the Steranko issues. And even though... I only ever read reading. There was a two-issue prestige format miniseries in 1985. No, I've seen that Nick Fury one. I've got those two. Right. I got them in the cheapy bins. Remember, I found them for 50p each. So, <laughs> bye. So uh, that's the only ones I've ever read. And um, I can't, what was reprinted in them? Strange Tales 168 and Nick Fury Agents of Shield 3, 5, 1, 2, and Strange Tales 168. Mm. Oh yeah, it split 168 over two issues, didn't it? So. That's an awful lot of it that I've not read. So I am very much looking forward to delving into that. Is it I'm not worth it just for the Steranko stuff? It probably is just worth it for the Steranko stuff. But um, the fact that you've got everything with it... Because I'm a big fan of Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. Yeah. I got that essential in Florida and thought it was great. all the Nick Fury stuff? Pretty much. Why is it not called Nick Fury instead of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Or is it because well, of the be, TV it'll show? It'll be marketed to, to get up to the TV show, won't it? Yeah. Which, you know, I don't really have a problem with. One of the things I did find interesting, the last issue of Strange Tales, Nick Fury dies. Right. Nick Fury gets killed. And then it takes an issue of Avengers later on, where I think, yeah, Roy Thomas resurrects him. Mm. So that issue of the Avengers in here as well, but Strange well, Tales end. ends with him dying, right? Okay. Which I think is a much better ending. Yeah, in my opinion, it makes it. If they'd left him dead, that makes it much more memorable. But they've also included as well Marvel Spotlight Nick Fury from a couple of years later, out by Howard Chaykin, where they explain the Infinity Formula right, and, and how it come, keeps him young. And how it keeps him young, yeah. And then there's a couple of not Brandyak stories at the end, which I'm, I'm sure will be fun when you eventually get around to it. But they, they also include uh, Fantastic Four. Issue 21. 
the Hitler one. Yeah, which is Nick Fury's first appearance in the modern Marvel Universe and not as Sergeant Fury. Right. Although they never bother explaining why he doesn't have an eye patch. Right. Okay. <laughs> in that, he's got two eyes. Okay. I mean, he probably still has two eyes, but one of them don't work. Maybe. So, yeah. Maybe it's fake. Yeah. <laughs> Entirely possible. Hologram. Yeah, so you, do, you want to do your penultimate one? Uh, yeah, I'll do this one. Okay, okay. Uh, what I got off my mum's mum, my mama. His other grandmother. Yes. Is the ties that bind the Bruce Springsteen The River collection. Yeah. Which collects stuff from The River era. Uh, essentially, it's the 2LP The River. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CD on CD or vinyl? CD. Oh, I, I already have them on vinyl. Oh, of course you do. Um, it's my favourite Springsteen album. Okay. The original single LP, mm-hmm. which he handed in but then took back to expand it. Right. The outtakes. Right. Stuff that didn't make it onto the... Do you have a CD player, though? It'll work on my TV. Alright, okay. Are you not just going to rip them to MP3 while you're home? Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, the two DVDs for a live concert that mm-hmm. came out just after the release. Right. And The Ties That Bind, which is an hour-long documentary on the album. It comes with a, a nice little uh, hand... Well... Reproduction. Reproduction of Springsteen's handwriting for lyrics and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's mostly um, the outtakes. Yeah. And then, which is probably the best part of it, is uh, a nice hardback photo book of loads of different photos from recording it to track listing, Mm. some photo shoots, and then we get later on, and it's all the live shows, which make some really good photographs, and also the uh, tour... um, Schedule. Schedule, yeah. So is this the album that he's touring next year, this year? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> that you want to go and watch, but he's only doing it in America. Yeah. Originally started off as a one-off show just to advertise this collection. Mm. But then it turned into, well, if we're going to get the whole band back together, we might as well, might as well make it worthwhile. But he's only doing it in North America. So. He's only doing it in America. So if, if there's a listener listening who is incredibly rich and wants to pay for Michael to go to New York <laughs> to watch Bruce Springsteen... Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> it's always worth it. One thing I've learned from this podcasting lot, from people like Alan Milton and, and Scott Gardner, if you don't ask, you don't get. That's true, yeah. So it's worth asking if there is a phenomenally wealthy listener <laughs> who wants to pay for you to go watch Springsteen in, in America. That's, I, would, I would happily take them up on that offer. <laughs> <laughs> I would happily take their money. Yes. I would happily take their first class offer <laughs> and, and seat... I'd, I'd see, I'd, I'd pay them the money back for maybe the concert tickets, but I don't think I can afford a... No, 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 no. <laughs> if there's a lovely listener who can afford to pay this for you, just take it, dude. Just take that and run. <laughs> That's what I would do. Uh, and my last big gift for, for Christmas, uh, by far and away, the, the only thing I asked for, in many respects, because um, it completes the collection, it's Marvel Omnibus Star Wars The Original Marvel Years number three. So, uh, it's, I mean, I dropped enough hints about this. I wore my T-shirt that is that Tom Palmer <laughs> cover and just frequently went, the book I want's got this cover. Yeah. And then when we saw it in Waterstones, and I think I had the T-shirt on at the same time. I don't know where the T-shirt forced away, because I can't remember. But I'm pretty sure I said, you know that T-shirt that I've got? That's, that's the book that I want. So she took the hint. Yeah. yeah. Finally. This uh, republishes Star Wars Annual Number 3 and then the Return of the Jedi miniseries. And then all the remaining issue of Marvel Star Wars up to 107. Rather oddly, they've not took this opportunity to fix a gaff in that one of the issues, I think it's issue 97 
I want to say. There's one of the issues late on in the run that was published out of order. And it was it should have been issue 97, I think. And they're doing this big storyline. So it doesn't actually make sense that they've done it. But the issue far, far away should have been published as issue 98. Mm. And then it only gets published as issue 101. Right. But they couldn't shift everything back in the production because issue 100 is a double-sized issue. So essentially what you've got is a store issue 101's out of, out of sync. Mm. Now, I wouldn't have minded, for the purposes of this collection, for them to put 101 back into sequence. Yeah. And then put 98 supply and demand there. And I, I wonder, would there have been outcry from the fans who liked them in proper order? As opposed to the story-making set. Because I suppose that you can argue that if it's published in the correct order, you can always skip forward, read that issue, and then go back. So I, I, I think I would have liked them to put 101 in the right place, chronologically, yeah. in the story. Because it's never been published correctly. But I, I love this era. I love Cynthia Martin's artwork. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And in addition to that, though, they've also got all of the stuff that was done for Pizzazz magazine, and then all of the stuff that was done for Marvel UK that wasn't printed before in America. Um, and then a couple of other little bits and bobs and unsundries and, and stuff. Some Alan Moore stories. Right. And some original artwork. I don't know if everything's in here, because they did do that wild space well, I remember that. Was that omnibus. That's the cover to the Return of the Jedi hardcover. Right. The, the adaptation of Jedi that I've got as the annual. Um, they did publish Wild Space, which was a document documentary. An omnibus that had all of the previously unpublished stuff from the UK comics that had never been published in the Americans. I don't know if everything's in here, because I think that also had like stuff like Star Wars 3D, mm. which isn't in here, which I'm glad about. <laughs> but there's also interview with Cynthia Martin and discussion of what they're going to do in the Star Wars comic following Return of the Jedi, which would ultimately be a sticking point for them. But yeah, I'm, I'm very glad to receive that, because it means I've got all three, and it now means that I can sell me long-time-ago threads, because I don't see the point of having it twice. Fair enough. I like how they're still... Uh, publishing them despite yeah. the fact that none of it matters anymore it's a legend right. it's, it's oh, part right, of right, Star right. Wars legends right Elseworlds tales yeah pretty much my head canon right. is the only canon that counts and in my head canon the Star Wars comics happened for, yeah fair enough all of them <laughs> even Zaxxon Jackson, Zaxxon Jackson so the that, rabbit does that mean that Force Awakens doesn't doesn't work then no there's nothing in the Force Awakens that contradicts these other than Han and Leia's kids. Well, this is straight after Return of the Jedi, so why is that contradicted by any of that? It isn't. Okay. So in my head, Cameron, this can totally work. Because it only ran for a couple of... See, Return of the Jedi happened before issue 88 or something, 81. And then it cancelled at 107. Right, okay. And they didn't really do anything with Han and Leia or Luke and Leia in these stories that Force Awakens contradict them, I mean, unless episode 8 contradicts them. Mm. But I can't see that it will. I can't see them ever going back and, and, you know, destroying what's in this. You can argue There's still, that, like, 28 years of time in between them. Yeah, right? but this this doesn't cover... You can pick straight up after 107 and cover all that. It'll contradict the EU, because yeah. Han and Leia had three kids, whereas, so far... Unless Kylo Ren is Anakin. Unless Kylo Which Ren is... Poetry. Yeah, that, that would totally work. What's your last one? My last one is uh, one from you. Me! I bought this. Yeah, you, you asked me quite a fair bit about me, because yeah. you know, it, uh, it was this or the Loban Sale Absolute. 
Yeah, the Loban Sale ones were dirt cheap. Which led me to thinking and getting excited that, ooh, I have at least you know, two or three absolutes for Christmas. Yeah, would you not, you not rather have Sergeant Peppers? Over an absolute? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, I would. <laughs> uh, but yes, it is Absolute Batman, the Court of Owls. No, I haven't even looked to this yet. Right, Scott Snow. It's not, I mean, the, the uh, hardback itself is really cool. Yeah, because what I did with this, I got it from Amazon, and the, it comes in a nice... It comes in the Amazon box, and you open the Amazon box, and it comes in another cardboard covering. Mm. And I left it in the cardboard covering just so the size was wrong for an absolute. Just so when you got home and did that thing that you always do, <laughs> feeling all your presents, yeah. you're the only one that still does that. Your brother and sister, younger than you, don't do that anymore. I'm the only one who still gets excited for Christmas. You're the only one who still, still has childlike wonder. I'm the only one who gets excited to open my advent calendar every day. I still do that. One of us doesn't even <laughs> touch it. So. No, Adam, Adam didn't even touch his advent calendar I opened it every morning yeah exactly yeah. so I I've, I've, I've not looked at this yet and the book cover itself let's get rid of those fingerprints yeah. it's, it's really nice as well mm. um, how many issues is it 1 to 11 oh that's not bad yeah. 11 and issues it's just everything about this the design the layouts is really cool has he drawn lots of new stuff for it Mr. No. Uh, Mr. Coppola he's not has he not drawn anything new for it I don't know that sucks uh, a introduction by Scott Snyder right. which is really good because they don't do introductions anymore Right. and then we have issue one uh, and it's it's all the issues collected in it I mean obviously the Nightwing stuff isn't in here hmm. um, and well, another thing that um, so we go into it and it's all the story hmm. and it culminates with issue 11 the next one's the Becky Cloonan issue right uh, but here we then move into backup strips hmm the first of which takes place... They did that thing where this main story ended, but they used the backup space to continue the story through pages. So that's what this is. So collecting it at the end on its own doesn't work. Right. It belongs to be within the main story. Maybe they thought that it would be too jarring to go from Greg Capullo to whoever's drawing this. I suppose, but it's jarring to read this on its own. Yeah. Well, see, this goes back to the Star Wars thing that we were discuss- discussing. There is nothing wrong with you going to the back yeah. and reading that, and then going back and reading issue two. But it would have worked better if it was collected how it is in the indiv- individual issue. Mm. And then there's the Alfred's dad story <laughs> about... Alfred's dad. Uh, which Because, <laughs> you know, that's what we're clamouring to read. Well, this, again, it's, it's, it's nice altogether as one big story, but it mainly leads into... The um, Bruce and his dead brother, right. or not dead brother, Thomas. As, yeah, if it was called that. So I mean, it works. As oh, Alfred's brother. No, Bruce's brother. All oh, right, Bruce's brother, Thomas. Yeah, because Bruce's brother was the bad guy yeah. of the. So it, it, it works its own little story, but it works better the way it was collected. Right. Because this ended, it was collected as the backup strips, right. and it was all about. Oh, what did the trades do that? I have no idea. If they, even, uh, if they even included the backup strip yeah. or if they just included the Capullo stuff I have right. no idea and then you have the final issue which is a big double, you know extra size one that wraps everything up and da 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 so I suppose it's, it's that variant cover by Ethan Van Skeever is very nice yeah and then we have all the variant covers did Jim Lee do one yay there you Jim go Lee. it looks like every other Jim Lee Batman drawing ever Ivan Reese uh, who's that Mike Choi Chris Burnham and again this is really cool because this is the very beginning of the new 52 mm. so Batman Incorporated was big so Chris Burnham did a variant cover right. um, Frank, uh, Gary Frank uh, Dustin Guyon Naguyan Goyan uh, Jason Fabok yeah. and Dale Keown right. 
Hi, Raphael Albuquerque, Andy Clark, and then just some sketchbook. Yeah, sketchbook is uh, Capullo and uh, a couple of stuff from Albuquerque, all the different talons, and then we have the um, scripts and original artwork. Interesting because you know the that Pandora who was in every issue one. Yeah. Not in Capullo's original pencils. What did she? Did she eventually happen? Yeah. Did she eventually mean anything? Uh, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. It, was it in Forever Evil or was it in... Okay, I remember. I know we've read Forever Evil. It I think we even covered it on a show, didn't we? It was in something. Yeah. She ended up meaning something. <laughs> she ended up meaning something that isn't memorable. Yeah. Right. So we've got the I don't remember. And the uh, original artwork side by side. Right. The best thing about this really is it's great seeing Capullo's artwork on the big In oversized. Well, not only that, but going back to his work on Batman and seeing how... Yeah, how much he's changed. Completely different it is. In a good way. So now... Yeah, he's still really good, but he's gotten so much better. So what's he left Batman to do? Something with Mark Miller? Yeah. Right, okay. That's probably something I won't read, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Greg Capullo may make me have a look at it, at the very least. Mm. See what happens. Anyway, that's it for gifts and emails. Should we cover another comic? Because this one... Is, uh, is more pertinent to... I mean, the Spider-Man one, it's kind of a Christmas story if you count the last panel. Yeah. But that, that, was, the, that was the Frozen. Yeah, that was... Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is Die Hard. Yeah, okay. very definitely a Christmas story. <laughs> Superman issue... Then with, no, it's not Christmas. It's a New Year's story. Ooh, which, what New Year movies are they? Even more pertinent. Uh, New Year's movies. Oh, God. Love Actually? Is that a New Year's movie? I have no idea. I don't know. Actually. It says something about you, though. That's the first one you said. I was th- I was reading somebody's rewriting of it today on Facebook. Were you? Yeah, and it was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> she kept calling Kira Knightley Natalie Portman all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny joke. It's, it's funny, funny yeah. joke, yeah. <laughs> Superman 333 was released on December 28th, 1978. This was the issue that was on the stands when Superman the movie was released. What film... Right. was on TV this afternoon while you were reading this comic. It was Superman the Superman movie. Superman the movie was on this afternoon and I was watching it. Because mm. I do. Yeah. Whenever Superman's oh, this is staying on. <laughs> <laughs> I was still impressed that it was the extended edition. Right. So you had that bit where he, he lands in Lex's thing and he throws the missiles and the ice and all that crap at her. Yeah. All that was in. So, so they can't shoot uh, guns at Indiana Jones, but they can shoot guns at Superman. Yeah, apparently. So, well, that's in the Indiana Jones, they edited out in... Sticking the skewer in his chest. Yeah, 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 Superman's a different thing. Um, it, this this issue is very well remembered. I know Mark Taylor when I when I put on Facebook, this is what we're covering. Right. Mark Taylor said that was my one of my first issues of Superman. <laughs> so because this was the one that was out when Superman came out, I wonder if they did a lot of overprinting on it, mm. thinking that this was going to be the one that everyone picked up coming out of the movie theatre. Yeah. Which may explain why it's well remembered. Uh, the cover is by Ross Andrew again, with art, uh, ink art by Dick Giordano. Bizarro, big old dumb old stupid me and Bizarro, catches Lois as she falls from Concord, or a Concord type airplane. Superman flies towards him as Bizarro says, Go and fly a kite, Superman! This arm job for Bizarro! Only me can save Lois Lane! Andrew is one of the most underrated artists in comics, as we established with Spider-Man, and this is typically a Bronze Age DC comic. It's eye-catching and intriguing and makes you wonder what's going on. I I like it. I like it a lot. What do you think? It, it's, it's good. It's great cover, isn't it? Did you recognise it as being the same artist as the Spider-Man? Actually? I did not. Yeah, it's Ross Andrew. Well, I mean, to be fair, he does kind of ape John Romita. 
in Spider-Man. In Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his face is very, but there's a, there's a very Giordano feel to Lois's face. So yeah, I can, there's a, there's there's a heavy feel of Dick Giordano on the cover. Right. That kind of takes away from Ross Andrew, although there is still elements of Ross Andrew. Although Bizarro's got his leg twisted at a weird angle. Or was that a Ross Andrew thing? No, it just looks weird. Oh okay. It looks like he's got a dislocated <laughs> knee and then a dislocated ankle. Right. So you think somebody would have fixed that? Because other than that, it's an enjoyable cover. Uh, Happy New Year, rest in peace. Was written by Martin Pasco, with art by Kurt Swan and Frank Sciaramonte. It's a slow news day on Bizarro World, where the only headline of note is that Superman's friends will die today. See, on Bizarro World, they report things that will happen on other planets. Apparently, Bizarro Number One leaves to check out his non-newsworthy story. On planet Earth, Morgan Edge has arranged a supersonic plane journey that will ensure the Galaxy Broadcasting staff will be able to celebrate the New Year in style, in four different time zones. On takeoff, however, Bizarro crashes the party. Bizarro smashing through the plane causes Lois Lane to be blown out and Clark pretends to follow her so he can change to Superman and save the day. Returning Lois to the plane, he chucks Bizarro out before he can blow his secret identity, seals the passengers back in, and then takes his frustrations out on Bizarro. Bizarro, no, I'm like that, and punches Superman so hard he is flung back in time. Because Bizarro does the opposite of everything in protecting Superman's friends, Superman believes he will actually kill them. Superman overshoots his time zone on his return flight, but doubles back with some special supplies. Catching up with the plane, Superman creates fake dead bodies of Lana and Lois, which is in no way creepy, and this dupes Bizarro into thinking this story came true, and he leaves. With the danger over, Superman and Lois have a big old tender moment. In the earshot of Lana language. In the earshot of Lana language. Kind of sticking that knife in. Romantic drama. Moving it around the ribs a bit. Uh, I'd forgotten that DC went well into the 70s with splash pages that were an additional cover which mm. is something you think of as being quintessentially 50s and 60s well we have discussed before how dated the Superman title was around this time had become yeah well not so much here yeah by the time you get to 1982 83 yeah. it's not that there's not good stuff going on but yeah it's, it's, it's only a few years away from feeling a little bit like it needs that, it needed that shot in the arm that, that John Byrne brought. Is that why John Byrne was so drastic? Because it was yeah, it Kurt was Swan had been drawing it for like what twenty years. Yeah, so you know, it's no disrespect to Kurt Swan, but yeah, things had gotten a bit stale, hadn't they? Um, Bizarro on this splash page as the Concord plunges to its doom in the background. Bizarro punches <laughs> symbolism. Superman, yeah, Bizarro punches Superman into the past. <laughs> You were giggling like a loon reading this one. It was fun. It's genius. And it wasn't that it was silly. Which it is. <laughs> but it didn't read as silly. It just read as fun. Yeah, it just read as this big dopey shit. The thing with the, the splash page is that you kind of think that Superman being knocked back in time is going to be a huge part of the story. And it's not. It's, it's literally, ah, Bizarro puts me back in time. My best fly to the future. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm back in time. Oh, well, I'll fix that. <laughs> And it's, it's one of the... You were asking me why you were reading it. It's like, why do people get bent out of shape about Superman the movie, then? If he was doing it the same time that yeah. it came out. And it's the only thing I could think to say is that, well, the people who complain about it haven't read the comics of the era. Is it the same as Man of Steel? Yeah. Or it's people who've read a certain segment or a certain story. Like, all the people who think they're Batman experts because they've read Killing Joke. 
yeah. when there's the 75 years worth of other history there for you to explore. It's the same with us. The people bitching, he flies back in time, and he turns time, back, and he gets back in time, and he rescues Lewis, and you're like, yeah, but he, he did that all the time in Superman comics of the 70s. Yeah. You know, before you're going to go and bitch and whine about the film, how about you go and read some of the source material from the era, and then come back and tell me that it's dumb. In the same film where he shoots his ass off and... Well, that's his Superman 2. I suppose. Uh, okay, yeah. alright. In the same film that he just magically changes clothes whilst... As he falls out of a window. Planet, yeah. no, as you pointed out, <laughs> when I no prize that, he's just changed too fast for you to say. That's, that's I've got nothing for the S. The S is dopey. Oh, yeah. But that's Superman 2. We don't talk about Superman 2. Is, is, Superman that, is that both cuts? I think that's missing from the Donna cut. Right. I think Donna was like, I didn't shoot that, that's not going in. Right, okay. so, I don't think that's in the Donna cut. It's no stupider than the, the, the hide-and-seek game that he plays with them later. And he's, he's lying and dying like, I used to play this at home all the time, and everyone was very good on it. I'm going to put visions of poor Jonathan and Martha as he makes duplicates of himself <laughs> all over Smallville. See, I've got visions of him just hiding in a cornfield going... <laughs> Someone will play with me one day. <laughs> oh, poor Clark. Uh, this, this, why does Bizarro report the news for another planet? <laughs> because you know how our news stations report news for this planet? Yeah. The opposite of that. Yeah. Alright, okay. Yeah, Alright, I will totally buy that. <laughs> the opposite of that is to report news. One of the things I did like about this, they report news that will happen yeah. on other planets. There's <laughs> nothing of input happened like, on Bizarro what's, Planet. What's the, the headline he's holding up? Dog uh, uh, bite Bizarro is big news. I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 dear me. And it just gets sillier from that. In a, in a gloriously, gloriously silly way. The, this is a typically 70s story, even though it's at the tail end of the 70s. It's absolutely jam-packed. Yeah. In it, from start to finish, this is jam packed with ideas, with action. If I have a complaint about it, characterisation kind of takes a back seat. But that was the Marvel DC way, wasn't it? Marvel was very character driven, DC was very plot driven. Yeah. So this is, is kind of typical of that era. But it still manages to have a page that brings the reader up to speed on who the Bizarros are and their entire shtick. Yeah. And it doesn't get around the fact that the Bizarro concept is inherently silly. Hmm. Um, I wasn't a big fan of Bizarro as a kid. Right. I've, I think it's because, you know what it was? I think it's because one of the first exposures to Superman I had, other than Superman Annual 1979 and a couple of these comics, was Superman from the 30s to the 70s. Right. And there's a huge gob of Bizarro stories in that you got annual. of it. Yeah. And it's like, they're all pretty much the same. Yeah. Even as a kid, you're like, these are all the same. And they must have noticed... What, you didn't notice that with Mixius Pitlick? I didn't have as much exposure to Mixius Pitlick. Because right. I had, like, there's one story from this from the next... Not next, next, but one issue. And there's one story of him in that book. So, like, you know, on the first of it, that's two different Mixius Pitlick stories. Okay, fine. Mm. But they must have noticed, because in Superman from the 30s to the 80s, a big chunk of those bizarro stories are removed. Right. So somebody along the line must have given there's a very bizarre bias mm. to this to this volume. So you know, I find him moderately okay now, moderately amusing. He's a relic of a bygone era. I suppose. They've done a decent job enough of modernising him with Forever Evil. He's just a bit but he's just very he's like you said earlier on it's either too silly or too serious and I think with Bizarro now it's too serious. That's, yeah. That new miniseries apparently gets good write up. 
Who's him that? and Jimmy Olsen on, um, on a road trip. I don't know who was the creative team, but apparently that's quite fun. Okay. So I think it's six issues. So if I ever see that for cheap, I may pick it up. But you know, like yeah. So, but I'm getting the feeling that will probably go the other end of your spectrum. That'll probably be too silly. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, Pizarro. You can't really treat it as not silly. That's true. In many ways. I love how we get two panels that are full of dialogue just explaining how it's possible for them to celebrate New Year's in, in four different Yeah, when, when we get back to Earth. Do we really need that much detail well, like, explaining how it's possible? And Morgan Edge explaining that like, we're in Concord. With yeah. a stick. <laughs> yeah, he basically explains it to Clark as if Clark's as thick as pig shit, <laughs> doesn't he? Well, Clark. <laughs> uh, but Clark just said, how can we, how can we uh, celebrate New Year's in four different time zones, Mr. Edge? And, it's, and he's like... Clark, do I really have to explain how time zones work to you? I just think it's great how he's got a map just for this. For the sole purpose. Just in case someone... We will cross the time barrier here, and here, and here, and here. So we will celebrate New Year's Eve four different times, so we get completely ratted. (laughs) This is his whole reason for doing it, isn't it? So they get completely pissed. (laughs) Morgan Edge just wants to spend... Because he works for Darkseid, he just wants to get drunk all the time. You would if you work for Darkseid, wouldn't you? That all this being said, we've, we've kind of took the piss out of this. Oh, there's a hostess cupcakes thing with Wonder Woman looks like Vinnie Coletta out of We've kind of took the piss out of this, but it's, it's all in affectionate love. Because it does have to be said, Martin Pascoe constructs his story far better here in only 17 pages. Yeah. This story is only 17 pages long. Far better than, it's just off the top of my head, Jeff Loeb did in 13 issues of the Long Halloween. I don't know what made me think of that. Again, that's 17 pages to work with, 13 issues to work with. Yeah. Pasco sets stuff up Mm. and pays it off better than Lorb does in 13 times the amount of space. Yeah. You've got the basic idea that Bizarro's Opposites is explained on the first page, and that sets up the ending. The ending is set up on the first page. Yeah. Which is really good. Then on page four... He establishes that Bizarro's X-ray vision can't see inside the plane. Right. Which, which sets up how Superman... With the tacit sardine yes, tin. stops him at the end with the sardine tin. Exactly right. I mean, it, taking away the silliness of it, which we've talked about and mocked, let's be honest, but taking that away, this era gets a lot of flack from people yeah. who I maybe haven't read it or maybe haven't understood what comics were like at the time that these were being published. But certain people working in this era, who work within the confines of what they're doing, have the talent to be able to do economical storytelling like this mm. and do it really well. And that's a talent you can't really discount. They, 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 Pasco sets everything up and he does it in such a way that you don't notice that he's done it. Yeah, so fair play to him. Yeah, so fair play to the writing in the issue. Like you say, as fun and as silly fun as it is, the structure of it yeah. Is really good. And he's put a lot of thought into it. I did love Great Scott. Bizarro, back on Earth. What can that simpleton do here? <laughs> he would not be allowed to call him that today. That's true. Isn't it? That That's, um, you know. And I do love Bronze Age Superman. I mean, he's always more concerned with secret identity <laughs> than anything else. And you've got a brilliant scene that is typical of this on page five. Clark allows himself to be sucked out of the plane with Lois uh-huh. as she plunges to her death so that he can save her, or them, 
and then he changed his identity so fast. This was brilliant. This was absolutely fantastic. He changed his identity so fast that Lois's retina registers that she's seeing both Clark and Superman. That's so much effort, though, to get dressed, to get undressed, to get dressed, to get undressed. Just, 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 just for Lois. Yeah. Nobody else is there to see it. She probably doesn't notice it anyway, what with falling out of a plane and, and all. And you've got to imagine that the wind's buffeting her face. Yes. So, she, you know, her eyes are probably watering. And it's typical of this era of Superman that he puts so much thought into protecting his secret. And it's genius. It is a genius scene, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. I mean, I'll take issue that Lois is strong enough to hold on to the plane's tail fin. Yeah. As it's flying. I suppose, yeah. But I love well, the way it she is, says... it is slowing down, isn't it? Well, it, and it's, it's coming down a bit in the atmosphere, yeah. and it does explain all that, so all right, we'll give I it mean, a I mean, it's still a Concorde, so that's still really, really fast. Yes, and she's still... Old, and I love that she says, save Clark, he's in greater danger than I. I can hold on for a minute. And you're like, really? Okay, Lois, maybe you're stronger than you look. I don't know. I did also love as well, I mean, people that had an issue with Superman Returns, where she yeah. gets flown all around the planet and then still her and make up perfect. Lois goes through all of this, not a her out of place. Yep. And the dress, immaculate. That lovely silk dress that she's wearing. But again, he uses a super voice throw-in. <laughs> oh, this, this bit was absolutely brilliant. Superman traps his friends in the cabin and then seals them in so they are safe when he leaves the plane, which conveniently separates them from Clark, yeah. who's in the toilet because he's got an upset stomach after falling out of the plane. And he does that super ventriloquism thing <laughs> <laughs> where he throws his voice at Clark, speaks back to him. So Superman's essentially having this conversation with himself purely for the benefit of the other people in the play. Does he ever do that and just decide to mess with them? <laughs> How are you doing that, Clark? Guy, I'm in the goilet. <laughs> so, Superman's like the ventriloquist. <laughs> Super ventriloquist? Gugga me! <laughs> that was a big one. <laughs> I'd give it another couple of minutes if I were you, Superman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Clark, that reeks, dude. <laughs> oh, gug me. <laughs> oh, genius. And there's another brilliant bit here. People are worried about Clark and Bizarro's just about to say, oh, I wouldn't worry about it, Clark Kent Superman. <laughs> but before he can say that, Superman punches him out of the plane. <laughs> I loved this comic. <laughs> I loved it on so many levels. What's even more impressive though, they actually put some real science in it. Yeah. When Superman explains how he can repressurize the cabin. Right. By taking he inhales the, the some air, and then before it can turn into carbon dioxide, he exhales it and then reseals and then he reseals it first and then exhales it so that they've got breathable atmosphere. Right. So in the middle of this dumb story. Mm. So in the middle of this really quite silly bit, he manages to fix the, the, some real science he's thrown in. Yeah. I was impressed by that. It's always better when they do that though, isn't it? A little bit of flash facts. Yeah. Is what they used to call them. So that, that was absolutely brilliant. And then flashback page brings readers up to speed that Bizarro has reverse Superman powers, which again ties into the ending. Mm. So there's, there's no flab in this. 
it's all... Yeah, everything's in service of the story, which is really quite cool. Um, there's a bit of characterisation. I mean, I said earlier on it's more plot than character, but the characterisation rather comes from Lana and Lois, doesn't it? Yeah. We're both essentially mooning over Superman. This is a standard subplot of the era. Yeah, standard romantic subplot. Lana doesn't trust anybody. I say the era, it's more earlier than this, really. Yeah, it, it, if I were to give you this and take the cover off it, would you have said it was a story from, like, 1979? Nah, I'd have said 50s or 60s. It, it feels like a late... No, I mean, I mean the art... The art's swan in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, you're, you are right. The only thing that sets it when it is is pretty much the not concord. Yeah, not concord. The not cord. <laughs> Very good. I like that. So, yeah, I mean, mostly after that, though, it's action all the way, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's some great action as well. Yeah, the action's brilliant. He fights busy. hits him with a tree. <laughs> Which is brilliant. You laughed at that in Godzilla vs. King Kong as well. Uh, well Ditty people with trees is always fun. Yeah. It's just the way it is. So Superman then sneaks up behind Bizarro. <laughs> and Bizarro elbows him in the face. <laughs> and it's amazing how matter of fact Superman is about the fact that after he does that, Bizarro just turns around and punches him so hard he goes back in time. And Superman just says, Ah, you punched me back in time. Yeah. I will fly to the future. Yeah, it's, it's, it's no effort for him to fly back to the future. But what is cool about this is Superman makes a mistake. Right. Because he forgets that it's Bizarro, so Bizarro has actually punched him into the future, mm. not into the past. So when Superman travels into the future to get back, he's going further into the future. Right, yeah. Which I thought was a really ingenious little bit. Like, Superman was portrayed... One of the problems people said they had with Superman at this point was he was portrayed as being infallible mm. and perfect. And he isn't here. He makes a mistake. Yeah. A mistake that could conceivably cost Lois and everybody else their lives. I mean, he gets back in time really quickly. Mm. But, you know, it was nice that it was there and it, it portrayed him as, as making an error. So I thought that was interesting. Although, did you think the ending was a bit strange? Uh, yeah, Superman... He blows Concord up. And the pilot of the Concord's a model kit. With a gust of Superman. Yeah, the wings just fall apart they like just, an they don't even kit. They don't even rip off or no. break off, they just pop out. They just pop out, exactly like when you snap them in yeah. one of those models. Yeah, you're absolutely and right. And then, so he's got this little little tin mm. that has his, his love pillows <laughs> of Lois and Lana. <laughs> Is that what they are? That's, 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 <laughs> From the fortress. They're, they're very definitely like body pillows. Yeah, well, he says, I constructed this diorama, a three-dimensional scene with cardboard cutouts. Why did he not just zip to the fortress and pick up the dolls, or sorry, the statues of Lois and Lana that he has in the fortress? Also, you know, why does he have statues of Lois and Lana wearing those dresses in the fortress? Well, all right, the, the dresses thing would be a bit weird. For a super jack. And, and maybe, you know, if they're anatomically correct models. Because <laughs> if you're Superman, you could totally make sure that that was accurate. <laughs> couldn't you? Suppose. It's the extra vision and all. You can make sure that the collar and cuffs match in Lana's case. <laughs> but, yeah, so what he does... He makes a cardboard cutout of Lois and Lana. But not cardboard cutouts. No, he says they are. He says the cardboard cutouts. They're three-dimensional. Yeah, but that's what he says. Unless it's like super origami cardboard. Yeah, yeah, origami. So they're origami cardboard, so they're actually three-dimensional. Yeah. You've just answered your own question. What are you complaining about? (laughs) I do apologise. Okay. And he puts them in this lead sardine tin. <laughs> Which you, where did he get that from? Because Bizarro can see through lead. Yeah, because Bizarro can see through lead but not through anything else because his powers are the reverse yeah, of Superman. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, so no. how can he fly then? That's a very good point. There's a massive uh, <laughs> war in this story then. Yeah, there? suddenly this tightly constructed plotline has been completely <laughs> ruined by you saying, well, he wouldn't be able to fly if the opposite of Superman. Yeah. He, but it was super walk. <laughs> that what he's got? <laughs> the little... What's it called when they do a power, power walk? walk is yeah, power, super power walk. Because <laughs> he can't fly. That's a very good, that's a very good question. My, my issue with this is Superman places that big sardine can directly in front of Bizarro. And Bizarro at no point thinks to go, uh, can I not look at the other place on the Concorde? Why do I have to look through this big sardine can that you've put right in front of my face? He doesn't make an effort to hide that that's what he's done. Uh, Superman is really lucky that Bizarro looked directly through the sardine can and not anywhere else on the plane. It doesn't look suspicious at all that Lewis and Lana are in the sardine can and not in the plane. <laughs> it doesn't look suspicious at all they just stuck it to the side of the plane. <laughs> like, oh, it's a shame that we're women and we uh, and, and Morgan Edge is sexist, so we have to fly luggage. Yeah, and like, does Bizarro not go, oh, is Morgan Edge dead? Can I just look? Because <laughs> it's him I want to see dead. <laughs> I don't want Lewis and Lana dead, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> what ebbs? Uh, it was great. Though. Okay, job, my job's done here. You're very welcome, Superman. I'm off now. <laughs> yeah, I've killed your friends. No need to thank me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I have a huge soft spot for this issue because, as I said, it was the first US Superman comic I ever got. My granddad brought home this issue, issue 335. And issue 337. Right. Brought home all three uh, from work one day. Um, so I only got them in like late 1979. So I yeah. won't have got this when it came out. Why there were three odd issues, I've got no idea. Why, why you know, 334, 36 weren't there, I don't know. But, you know, what is just one of the. I assume that's just down to the, the vagaries of how these things got over here. Yeah. And they were just the ones that were left on the stands or whatever. This story is fairly typical of its era. Yes. It's not without the silly. It's got plenty of that. But it, that's not a bad thing, is it? Mm. It has heart. Yeah. Yeah, that's a perfect description of it. There's a lot of heart in this. Yeah. There's a lot of fun in it. The story, other than that little bit of a plot problem that you pointed <laughs> out... The story's well constructed. It's it's well set up, knocked down. Yeah. That, like I said earlier, every, there's a lot of stuff set up in the early part that pays off later, and it's done in such a way that you're not going that'll get paid off later. Mm. So that was that was quite interesting, and it's it does typify the the main differences between Marvel and DC comics of the era. It's very plot heavy, which was you know Marvel was very character heavy it's the difference to the two companies but it's well constructed as a story like Michael said it's a very valid point that it's it's full of heart it's full of fun and there's a lot going on Mm. 17 pages and it's all out action for most of it isn't it yeah it's never boring no from the first page for the Bizarro yes and you know sometimes I'd rather have a little bit silly than dull yeah It's, it's not dull and I, it's well worth picking up. I still love it. I still love Superman issue 333. A lot of good ads in this one. Obviously, it was the time of Superman the movie, so the very first page is Superman the movie advert coming for Christmas. I like its stark simplicity. Yeah. It's just the logo and coming for Christmas. Be excited. Yeah. That's, uh, it doesn't even say you'll believe a man can fly or anything, does it? No. It's just that's that's all it is. And there's something wonderful about about that. Uh, there's a season's greetings from DC Comics ad, which looks like Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, 
Christie's name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Green Lads. I love this advert. You can't go wrong starting the new year right. None of those comics come out in the new year. Yeah. Every single one of them. November. November 30th is Green Lantern. Batman comes out December 14th. Superman December 28th. And Batman Brave and the Bold um, December 28th. I like having that advert. Uh, Green Arrow, Black Canary and Plastic Man can all fly. Oh, and Batman can as well. Yeah, Batman can. No, Batman's on a, ri- on a, on a swing. Was it? Right, yeah. yeah. So, was, you, I've got no explanation for Black Canary. Maybe it's a colour and error that's supposed to have a green aura around them. Maybe. Like, like Green Lantern's supposed to be carrying them all. Yeah. Yeah, because I love that Green Arrow and Black Canary and Green Lantern, obviously, and Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Batman, Superman's pretty straightforward. Plastic Man is the guest star. Oh, brave and the ball. That's so that's why plastic man's on there. I love it's, it's there's holly around it. Yeah. It's very it's very nice and uh, very festive. <laughs> as we as we close out this, you uh, get a rifle for Christmas. Yeah, make sure a, you don't shoot your eye out. Please don't. We we don't recommend it. Uh, adverts for two treasury editions. Yeah, it's quite. I've got one of them. Right. Uh, Superman the yesterday. Right. I've got the one on the right. Yeah, I've got the Superman the movie treasury edition. Uh, I've not got the famous first edition one, which apparently represents Superman number one. Which is, uh, which is quite interesting. Toy adverts. Yeah. My favourite bits. Mego dolls, Superman family. 12 and a half inch fully articulate. I had Superman. Right. I had a 12 inch Superman doll. Uh, I didn't have Lex Luthor or General Zod or Jarrell, sadly. Mm. But again, it's a Sunday welfare <laughs> listening to this. Who wants to send me those Mego dolls? Yeah. I would not turn you down. I'd fight you on the show. And I can think of no higher reward. <laughs> it's just like a Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> As I said, Scott Gardner and Alan Middleton have pointed out you don't ask, don't get. So I'm just going to throw everything I want out there and see what comes (laughs) back my way. Peace and a pony. (laughs) Pony more than (laughs) wealthy. Uh, again, Superman the Calendar, Superman mo- the movie Calendar from 1979. I'd, I'd love to see what's in that. I presume it's just stills from the film. Uh, a slab of kryptonite for everyone who wants to kill Superman. You can buy. I've got a piece of kryptonite yeah. up there on the shelf. Yeah, I mean that's thing your glass, toughened glass mm. kryptonite that Phil's dad gave me, and right. I've still got it. Still, uh, I've, I've, so I've got a slab of kryptonite. So if Superman ever gives me any grief, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. little slice of the old hometown, eh, Superman? But no expense. Yeah, 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 yeah. You were good in your day, but uh, that day has passed, and I am the greatest criminal mind of our time. Oh, my time. Oh. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, there's the Batman utility belt, which makes perfect sense. It comes. No, it, it is. I'm, I'm not <laughs> yeah. being sarky. It comes with bat gun. <laughs> Understand your core audience. Well, from that issue where he shot Dracula on oh, dolphins. Yeah, so. yeah, okay, yeah. Bat buckle. Right? Isn't a buckle just a natural component of a belt? It'd be a bit useless if it didn't come yeah. with one, I suppose. Uh, bat cuffs, hey. <laughs> bat having a cat on me. Bat walkie talkie. He has to keep in contact <laughs> with Alfred. And a bat hook. I just want to know what the bat hook The bat hook for gucking, gucking, gucking. <laughs> I'm ventral. Isn't that what the cuffs are for? <laughs> Gutting sharks. <laughs> yeah. It's like he's not going to any shark repellent, so he uses the bat hook. <laughs> but then Wonder Woman has a utility belt. Which doesn't have any, it doesn't come with anything. I suppose it comes with the whip and the tiara and the, the thing. So between the two of them, you've got a whip with the Wonder Woman outfit and, and handcuffs with the Batman. <laughs> so the two of them put them together. But hey, good night all round. Don't let Superman find out. <laughs> so for the man in your life by the Batman, the woman in the life by the Wonder Woman, and together you can have a good night with the whip <laughs> and the handcuffs. <laughs> and the lasso of truth. <laughs> They didn't think this through when they mastered these at children, did they? 
I was not. Or perhaps they just didn't have our dirty mind. Or they were advertising them for children. And yeah, not. <laughs> not for us. And then there's for uh, Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman from the 40s to the 70s. Do you know I did not know they did a Wonder Woman one of them for ages? Right. I mean, I must have seen this advert as a kid, but yeah, because I've got the Batman and Superman one, but obviously I've not got the Wonder Woman one. Uh, full colour poster spectacular, Giant McNichols. I have no idea who that is. Okay. Uh, Coneheads. Saturday Night Live sketch. Not funny. Uh, Farah. I've been seen with Farah. Oh. Linda Carter. Susan Anton. Cheryl Ladd, who are all big sex symbols. And Kiss. Okay. Kiss is the only one that's really a going concern nowadays, isn't it? Huh? Kiss is the only one that's still around. Farah Voss is sadly dead. Um, not shown posters. Saturday Night Live. Olivia Newton-John. Sean Jacket. Who's Sean Jacket? No idea. You think it's Sean Cassidy wearing a jacket? <laughs> Why is it advertising Sean Jacket? That famous 70s sex symbol. Why, okay, why are those outfits not like advertisers? Farrah shirt. Farrah bikini. Yeah, yeah. Linda Carter, top off. Kiss, outfits. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Donnie and Marie, because, you know. Well, Leaf Garrett's got a skateboard. He actually says that in the brackets. Sleuths. Sean and Parker, so that's um, the Hardy Boys. Right. Parker Stevenson, some other guys. Ms. Teague's in a pink bikini, which is Cheryl Ladd. And then just completely contrasting in an advert for all these sex symbols, you've got a poster of Grizzly Adams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then Clint Eastwood. Right. Who I presume was a bit of a sex symbol. So and then John Chur, that other famous 70s sex symbol. Okay. Absolutely John Travolta. Right. In a chur. <laughs> Stood up. <laughs> Alleyway. No, 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 no. It would just be Clint Stud. <laughs> Is that with a U or an O? I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Uh, Thrilling Adventures, DC Western comics. Scalp Punch and Jonah Hex. Both brilliant covers. Mm. On those two, those two comics. Metropolis Mailbag has letters from nobody interested that I can, I can recognise. Uh, the Daily Planet page, Detective Comics 500, uh, 483, sorry, it was out, celebrating 40 years of the Batman, which uh, looks like it has some interesting uh, stories in there. Uh, and Ask the Answer Man. Should we, should we have a look what the questions are? Okay. Will Supergirl ever rejoin the Legion? Answer, you never can tell. It's like, it's, was the answer man just a magic eight ball? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> that holy world? How do I get girls to like me? <laughs> Unclear at this time. <laughs> um, where can I write to Joanna Cameron, who was apparently um, ISIS in the, the TV show? Right to occur of your TV station. I can't believe they needed ISIS in the TV show. Yeah, yeah ISIS was a, a character before it was. Oh, a, before it was, you know. Okay. Yeah, um, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> what earth is Plastic Man from? What? What is? Earth what one. is this? Earth Who are these people? Question: How about a Robin Speedy team up? Oh, the world is just waiting for one of those. Send your idea to Paul Levitt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like number of some idea to you. You work in the same office as Paul Levitt. Surely it's easier for you to give him my idea rather than me sending another letter. <laughs> Oh, this is absolutely fantastic. What happened to Jimmy Olsen's own magazine? 
It got cancelled. Pretty, pretty, that's pretty much his answer. Right, okay. yeah, it was incorporated into Lois Lane and Supergirl to create a Superman family. Do you have a staff to help you answer all these difficult questions? <laughs> I put in the word difficult. Because <laughs> I can't imagine they need the staff for these. I just see Bob Rosakis lying there with his feet up in his big leather recliner going, I can't be asked. Intern, answer these questions for me. <laughs> I'm crying. Why, why is the parasite purple? <laughs> That's a question. And his answer is why not? How much did he get paid for this? Wonder Woman stronger than Supergirl? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I suppose that's all right. Yeah, that's a legitimate question. No, I'd have to bet on Supergirl in a fight. Oh, that's uh, I don't know about that. I say Wonder Woman could hold her weight, but Super Supergirl's from Krypton. She is from Krypton. Yeah, that's she a tough sh- one. That she should be just as strong as Superman on a human basis. So do you think Supergirl then would be stronger than Wonder Woman if she's as strong as Superman? Yeah. Okay, well, so we're going for... could definitely hold her own, but... But ultimately we're going for a tie on yeah. that one. Oh, I see the, the answer, man. Right. And let's not argue with these <laughs> answers thus far. Would would go on Supergirl. Right. I, I think that, that, that's the most interesting question of the lot. Yeah. In my opinion. Why can't Kid Flash join the Legion? Is the next question. <laughs> Do you get the, the answer? He's never been asked. <laughs> Whoever was the answer man deserves, Right, he deserves a medal. <laughs> what for answering these questions in such a way as to not actually give any answers? <laughs> and the final one, what are Teen Titans 7, Justice League 86 and Forever People 7 worth? <laughs> and he answers that one. Right. 50 cents, 35 cents and 65 cents respectively. Although I sense sarcasm in that I answer. I suppose so, yeah. I think that. And direct currents, DC Comics Presents, number 8 is out, The 60 Deaths of Solomon Grundy. Steve Engelhardt, oh, that may be interesting. GI Combat, number 213, Men of War 15 and various other unsundries. And uh, there's a Fred Hembeck short script, and uh, there's an advert for Revolutionary War Soldiers, those little tiny things. Mm. Got our flag wrong. Stupid people. Uh, and read why TCR is America's most exciting slotless racing system. And then an advert for a Corvette. Mm. A model, not a real one. Yes, yeah. I mean, nowadays it'll be a real one because your, your target audience has changed. Uh, what do you think, Superman 333? I, th- I thought it was a hoot and a half. It is a hoot and a half. The adverts were even funny. Yeah. Well, the answer man stuff's even funny. Oh, should we knock that one on the head? Uh, yeah. Let's call that one a day. Uh, so I hope you've had a very, very good Christmas, lovely listener. And a happy uh, New Year. And uh, we wish you a happy New Year. This one's going up either on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Depends right. on when I, I, I get it done. Uh, coming your way in January, we've got a two-part special covering uh, The Long Halloween. Hi, Jeff Loeb and Tim Say. And the two-part sequel. February, covering Dark Victory. Yeah. that the name of it? Also by Jeff Loeb. this Yeah, I kept, I kept calling it Darker I, I will call it Dark Horizons. I'm just getting this, this crystal ball yeah. like vision that I will I will keep getting the name right. And um, when Michael comes back, if Captain America White is out in trade paper by, by that point, or hardcover, whichever, uh, we'll cover that next. Yeah, it should be around Easter time. I yeah, think. so just, if we cover it around Easter, we can cover White, and uh, that'll be, that'll be uh, the next couple of episodes. Yeah. 
So unless we come up with something else to uh, entertain you with. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. We had a blast with that one. Yeah. We had a really good time with that. So we hope you enjoyed listening to it as well. We hope we brought you some Christmas cheer as the festive season for 2015 closes down. And uh, we will be back with additional episodes sporadically now that we, we can't do weekly anymore in 2016. So our best wishes to everybody who listens to the show. Hope you all had a lovely time. And uh, don't forget, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com if you want to contribute to uh, to anything that we talked about in this issue. And let us know what you got for Christmas. That's always fun. And tell our Facebook kind of takes that place. Next. It's fun. And uh, we will see you later on in 2016. Goodbye. Goodbye. Intermittently. It is hosted by Andrew and Michael Leyland. All sound clips and music used in the show are for review purposes only, so don't sue us because we talk over them, so it's not like people can rip them off. Correspondence to the show can be sent to heykidscomics at virginmedia.com, which is the email address, and you can like the Facebook page. Thanks, Facebook.